Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It's Monday, May 7th, and I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. We're back from two weeks ago, and it's kind of old news now, the NFL draft, but we will touch upon that a little bit and talk a little bit of recruiting too, which we uh, w- which we haven't spent a lot of time doing lately on our podcast. But uh, going back to the draft, of course, a great night for Quentin Nelson, picked by the Indianapolis Colts with the number six overall pick. Mike McGlinchey, three picks later to the 49ers, and then Durham Smythe in the fourth round to the Dolphins, right? And uh, Equinome St. Brown in the sixth round to Green Bay. No surprise with Nelson. A little bit of a surprise, at least in the, you know, week leading up or weeks leading up to the draft. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of people, you know, I don't know that they had, they certainly didn't have Mike McGlinchey in the top 10, maybe in the middle of the round, but it was more towards the end of the first round. And Aaron Taylor said to me, he might go in the second round. This was just a couple days before the draft. Yeah, there was a, Peter King had a sort of write up from a, personnel front office guy who said that there was no bigger gap in their that team's draft grades than Roquan Smith at eight to Mike McGlinchey at nine. They thought that McGlinchey and Colton Miller, the tackle from UCLA, were like late first round twenties, maybe like thirty, thirty-one. Um so yeah, I I was I was surprised because I think that we all watched McGlinchey last year and didn't think we were watching a top ten player, whereas I think with Ronnie Stanley and Quentin Nelson we did. But look, if you need a tackle, you need a tackle. And it's like if quarterbacks can get drafted a round and a half too early, why can't an offensive tackle get drafted <laughs> well, fifteen picks too right. early? And like we always say, it, it just takes one team, right? Yeah. And that was San Francisco, which we got a, a clue to I don't know, a day before the draft or the morning of the draft that San Francisco was definitely interested. And uh, everybody saw the video, which was pretty awesome, of McGlinchey with his family. And he gets off the phone. And the 49ers indeed made him a number one pick with the ninth overall. If you're going to reach 10, 12 picks, he's the type of person and the type of position. It's a good right? reach with Mike yeah. McGlinchey. Yeah. Don't reach with the guy that's going to be gone in three years because he's a moron. Reach with the guy that if he is as good as you think he can be, can be a captain of your team in 10 years. That's yeah. the type of guy. And that was like something Mike Mayak told me at Pro Day, which I, I didn't really think about it in terms of going uh, nine overall. It was more like, who's the number one tackle? I th- and he said, I think it's McGlinchey because you know, you know sort of what the floor is going to be. The floor is going to be really good teammate, good player. You know, maybe he does, he's not a, a Pro Bowl type in the way that uh, I think people expect Nelson to be and Zach Martin has been, and you know Ronnie Stanley seems to be on his way. But if you know what you're getting from a floor, then it's a, it feels a little bit more comfortable. Still, I was I mean I was surprised number nine overall. I the other parts like were we surprised that um, Equinemius fell to the sixth round? 
I'm not sure I really was. I was surprised with that far. I figured with what he ran and his height weight, it would go over the film and he'd be fourth at fourth round. You figure that's when someone takes a, a reach on a guy like that. Maybe. It's just like the no, the no special teams thing. Yeah, they uh, reach for guys that are athletes all the time, though. That's why yeah. I fought him earlier. Yeah, I, I guess the biggest surprise to me was Durham Smythe. Out of, of all the, the four guys that got picked, and maybe you include Josh Adams as sort of a surprise not getting picked, Durham Smythe in the fourth round, um, early fourth round, I think, was, was a bit of a shock to me. But he was like the, I wrote about it, the eighth or ninth tight end chosen. And so he benefited from, you know, not a great, not a real deep tight end class. And at that point, if you need a tight end, you grab a tight end. He definitely benefited from that. St. Brown was a wild card. I mean, I thought, I mean, I thought he could have gone as high as the third round. Um, I figured he would get drafted, not not overlooked completely. After the combine, I figured he'd be drafted. When yeah. he left, I was like, oh, I mean, people may never care about having him on their team. But once he ran like that, I figured he's going to have to be drafted. And he got drafted in a place that I tell you what. If you, if you want to play wide receiver in the NFL and a couple guys get hurt, you all of a sudden might have 60 catches on your hands with 800 yards because the ball is just put exactly where it belongs on every play. So he, he benefits well, from maybe his from, surroundings. Maybe from the back, you mean the starter and the backup? Yeah. Because the backup he's quite familiar with, Deshaun Kaiser. I think the ball placement might be somewhat different between the starter and the backup, but I'm glad he is uh, no, familiar I would agree, with the I would agree with that, but he yeah. might know he might know yes. you know his receiver a little bit better. Well, for, uh, Notre Dame, four free agents. uh not surprising. I, I I read where a couple people were surprised that Morgan didn't get drafted. And I had said, you know, hey, in fairness, I'd said earlier in the week that I'd be surprised if Josh Adams didn't uh, get drafted. But obviously the medicals played a huge role there. Morgan goes to the Bears. Trombetti goes to the Bears. I don't for a second believe either one of those two are going to make the team, especially Trombetti. And Martini was a, was a late signee uh, of the Green Bay Packers. I don't think, I think once Morgan's shoulder injury that we had speculated about for a long time was revealed and then he ran a slow 40, there was no chance he was going to draft it because he wasn't, he wasn't at that level of production where you look at him and just think, God, that guy is such an amazing football player. I don't care what he runs, but he was just a spot of fine, solid linebacker and there are 200 of them. Yeah, I mean, it certainly felt a lot differently after watching the first couple practices at Culver last year. I thought oh, yeah, he, I he, thought he was going to have a dynamic year and then the dynamic year ended up going to, to Tavon Coney. Uh, you know, I, I wrote something to sort of follow up on the draft. Just it's a It's sort of a cold, sobering look at where Notre Dame's defense has been. Uh, over the last four or five years where they've had four players drafted on defense in the last four drafts combined, which um, is tied, I think, with Kansas, Kansas State, Michigan State, Oregon, Pittsburgh, Northwestern, Nebraska. Not teams that they want to be seen with. Um, Ohio State and Alabama have each had more first-round picks on defense in the last four years than Notre Dame has had picks on defense in the last four years. And I think it's it's not to say that Notre Dame can't make the playoffs or, or challenge to make the playoffs, but it, it's just it's an important reminder that I think people need to keep in mind about this is just sort of where Notre Dame football is. It doesn't mean it's going to be stuck there, but it's just the challenge that Mike Elko had to deal with, with the cleanup after Brian Van Gorder, and I think it's a, a challenge for Clark Lee as well to sort of develop the not just love Tillery and Coney and Tranquil, but getting the next group of guys, Houston Griffith, Derek Allen, Jason Adamalola, Jack Lamb, et cetera, Shane Simon up, up to speed. So Notre Dame can be more of 
three or four defensive picks every year opposed to four year four and four years. But it's and while I don't disagree with anything you said there, they were basically a playoff caliber defense last year. Basically. They were just I'm not saying they're Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, which are playoff caliber defenses and made it. They're the next level. They were the next level last year. They had one really bad day and then a really bad half. And everything else, they were outstanding. And it's the coaching and the way they played their the way they played their positions. Yeah, and the, a, it was a as a unit. It's not talent. Right, it was the collective. Unit. They were. I mean, which is what it has to be. Yes, it has to be the collective. It has to be. That They're not going to win on talent but, like the raw material. Yeah, and I mean, you say to to compete for a national title. Notre Dame can compete for a national title with the way they recruit now. They can't regularly compete for a playoff spot. With three, with yes. just a generalization, but with three star prospects, you're not going to compete for a playoff spot. This, year. this was I thought as I was sort of researching the story because it's like you kind of start thinking it's like, man, Notre Dame just hasn't put a lot of guys uh, in the draft on defense. Am I, am I right about that? And you just go through all the Power Five teams and chart it out, and then you're like, wait a minute, who's the last three star prospect that Notre Dame signed on defense and turned into an NFL draft pick? And it's Bennett Jackson who committed to Charlie Weiss as a wide receiver. Uh, as a wide receiver. You know, Prince Shembo, technically the 24-7 composite had him as a three-star, but if when you when you go back to 2010 to find the last three-star that developed in an NFL pick, I mean, that's just... They probably have one right now, though. Yeah, yeah. that's great if it happens <laughs> once every nine years. Um, they just they, they just haven't been um, sort of that, that collective development aspect, which they really need uh, to make the playoff and compete for a title. It just hasn't quite been as far enough along as they as they need it to be. Andrew Kristoffik is a perfect example of a three star that will will play, should play above that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and I think in some ways Kyle Hamilton, the the safety oh, from like Georgia. Yeah, um, they've. I, I think they're they're on their way to potentially sort of stacking up really good classes back to back. You know, last year's class was unique because of how much uh, material they got really in the back seven more than the front seven on defense. Um, you know, and to have wide receiver talent, good quarterback, and not have everything contingent on the offensive line and tight end material was was a refreshing change. I think that's sort of where they need to be. But, I mean, since we really last delved into recruiting, they've picked up Andrew Kristofik, Quinn Carroll, John Olmstead, all on the offensive line. Uh, beyond that, Kyle Hamilton uh, to go with K.J. Wallace, who's an earlier commit, so a couple of DBs out of Georgia. Um, they're, I think they're they're in a good spot, and if they continue to progress with uh, Nana Osafamenso, which everyone tells me that he is as solid as you can be without saying I'm coming to Notre Dame, um, coming out of his Texas visit over the weekend, then I, then I think they have a chance to sort of go back-to-back, back, which they really have not. Yeah, and of course the most recent verbal commitment to Notre Dame is Quinn Carroll, uh, the offensive tackle, offensive guard out of Minnesota, 6'6", 295. Legit four-star prospect. I would put Kristovic in a legit four-star prospect um, category. I wouldn't put Olmstead there. Uh, we'll see how he develops. But, yeah, I mean, Quinn Carroll... Um, I think a huge get for Notre Dame. That guy is a is a snowplow. Uh, does he have enough quickness? It's interesting because you look at his film and you don't see a lot of pass pro from from his film, and that that appears to be a question with Notre Dame. But he's a road grader and and a great catch for Notre Dame. Whether it ends up being a right tackle or whether it ends up being a guard, 
Yeah, he's the best player in the class so far, and may he he may be difficult to beat here for a while. Yeah, I mean you have Howard Cross mixed in there too, committed around the spring game, and then um, Litchfield Avajon committed around the spring game as well to sort of round out the class. So I mean on on twenty four seven, you're looking at <clears throat> sort of a, a commitment class that has seven four star guys and two three star guys. Mm-hmm. Uh is a is a legitimate and the two and three stars. I, I think are, that you and Yeah. Uh Tim and I I think we might feel the same way where we we might like the two three stars the most of anybody in the <laughs> class. Um you know or at least right below Quinn Carroll. And the stockpiling I kind of wrote about this on Monday Music, just the stockpiling of they need to keep getting four very good prospects in each class because you're not surviving when you bring in three. Look look if you think of the juniors right now One's gone in Boudreaux, who people weren't very high on. That's why you needed a fourth in that class. Kramer and Eichenberg look like they were. Twitter was high on him. God bless that. And Bleacher Uh, Report. Yes, that's true. I'm not especially high on the current incoming class. That doesn't mean it's going to be proven right, but it's good that you have four in numbers. 2017's turning out looking pretty good. Right now, when you when you're looking at Hainsey and Banks, and you right, but the numbers yes. are so, it's just so important because as much as I could like in recruiting Hainsey, and you could like Banks, and somebody else could like Eichenberg, you're always going to be wrong on one or two offensive linemen. So you just need the four or five. Yeah, for, you know, I, the I killer know. class offensive line never works out. It's always going to be two out of four, maybe three out of five would be the best class. If you look back in the last twenty years, three out of five would be the best hit number oh, you would yeah. ever get on the offensive line. Why well, I I. I some people were talking on the mess forward about Kramer and Hainsey being the next McGlinchey and Nelson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, McGlinchey and Nelson, that, I mean, that is truly a once in a generation. Yes. And Nelson pairing. is always going to be that good. Cra- yeah. And Nelson Kramer, is always going Kramer to be that good. Kramer is not going to be that. Kramer is not going to be that good. No, Hainsey could. You can work your way to McGlinchey. You can work your way to McGlinchey. And not necessarily. That yeah, but McGlinchey's 6'8. And, and that's a, what. And he was a first team All American as a fifth year senior, so we shouldn't say you can work your way technically to McGlinchey, but you can work your way to McGlinchey, certainly the junior and true senior, yeah. where he was a starting good player. Yeah, I, th- I think Hainsey's going to be really, really yes. good, but his height is probably limiting. And so, therefore, I would imagine his arm length is going to be limiting when it comes to draft time. First team All American status isn't everything because I was actually, this is, I was writing about this today, and you think, well, you know, McGlinchey, first team AP All American, he must be the best fifth year offensive lineman and stuff like that for Kelly. Zach Martin just didn't get recognized. Was he better than Zach Martin? Would Nordic have missed a beat last year if Zach Martin was he the would, left tackle? I don't would, think so. So, <laughs> no, yeah. let's not worry about that. But. It, it, you do have to acknowledge accomplishment in college. So when I say you can be the next McGlinchey, I don't mean first-team All-America. Yeah. I mean a very good yeah. tackle at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, the last sort of all-world offensive line class that Notre Dame signed included Mike McGlinchey and Steve Elmer, but also included Hunter Biven, Colin McGovern, and John Mothelis. Yeah, it's the way that's – if you get three out of five, you did a great job, and that was a two out of five, losing one. And I think, five, look, I mean, two. on signing day, I don't think if we were, if we were doing a podcast back then, um, the, between the three of us, I don't think we would have sat there and said, well, I really only think one of those guys is going to be a future pro, <laughs> and one guy will be a, a pretty good starter, and the other three will wash out. Like, no, nobody would have said that. So, you well, got, you got to throw, you just got to throw numbers at the problem yeah, on the offensive line. It's interesting, because I just did a, a film review on Kyron Williams, a running back out of St. Louis, and... Um, you, everybody will see it here on the site coming up, or it might already be on, but... Um, you know, I compared him to a former Notre Dame running back who at the time, you know, if you said that, you'd love that comparison. But after Amir Carlisle, who is who I compared him to, you know, finishes Notre Dame 
uh, three years at Notre Dame, um, no, you know, nobody really is that impressed comparing him to, to Mir Carlisle. But well, you're comparing him to his recruitment and before you look at they, you got to compare to when they were 17 right. years old. Not also, when they were yeah, also recruited by Stanford. You know that that kind of back, uh, good good speed, um, but. You know, you, you, I don't know. You never, you never really know, but you can look at high school film. I think, I mean, is it easier to be wrong about a bad uh, a player that you don't think is that good or wrong about a player that you do think is that good? It would be the latter. I don't, I'm not sure if I draw, like, would draw a distinction between those two really? things. Um, I think it's, I don't know, equally easier, equally hard on both well, ways. Yeah, like, there's always a tendency, though, to overinflate somebody. Though, yes, so. I think that's you, a good point. I think the tendency is yeah. overinflate because you're, you know, and they're 17 years old. You're right. not analyzing yeah. them when they're 24, and you're trying to be fair to them as adults. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that when when they're coming in, we have a tendency to see like, well, here's the most optimistic yeah. reading of you know what they could be. We or everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when they're done, then people forget about how optimistic they were four years earlier because you just don't remember. And you really do have to, I mean, it's a generalization, but say there's 24 players, you know, eight are significant contributors, eight are contributors and eight don't pan out. I don't know that, it, I, you know, you could probably, uh, we should probably figure that out sometime. And oh, see yeah. exactly. Yeah, you might be being generous right there. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. yeah so just, I mean, that's the just a rule of three situation where yeah. um, if, and if you hit that, that's not, that's not breaking even, that's good. I think you can cut yeah. every class in half if you're talking about being a contending program. Just cut it right in half, all the way down. Could be. I, I did something this recently, and the best one by far, and no one would have guessed it, was the Lice's last class. So you're saying, 50, effort, you're saying 50% don't contribute as opposed to one-third. Yeah, and my don't contribute, I don't want to like name a player here, but I, you know, don't contribute means there. no one thinks, Ooh, thank God I have that guy on our team starting at that position. So there's so a guy that blocks on extra points that doesn't count. No, that's not, that's that's good for coaching. <laughs> good for coaches to have contributors, but I'm talking about what you think of the guy and what he becomes coming right. class in half. Right. Yeah, I mean it's like the 2014 class with Niles Morgan. There are 11 guys on defense. Uh, one might get drafted. Like one out of 11. That's not something that you're thinking about on national enough. signing day. So yeah, that's not good. I encourage you with the 2000 Weiss's last class. If you cut it in half, you'd be like, wow, this is just... Like, when Toma is the low end of where I'm saying, he, he definitely contributed. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Manti Teo, program legend. Tyler Eifert, program legend. Zach Martin, program legend. That's a good start for your class. Chris Watt, no one would argue against it. Sierra Wood, no one would argue against it. I don't know how you want to do Shaq Evans because he became a player, but I guess for Notre Dame it didn't work out, right? right. That's the yeah. way I look at it. Right. Stockton would not be a contributor. Zeke Mata certainly would be, even though it took a while. Banks would not be. Alex Bullard, for reasons out of his control, would not be. Theo Riddick certainly would be. Carlo and Fox both would be, right? Yes. If you're drawing these distinctions, I think so. Yeah, I feel like if Carlo, if you told me Carlo and Fox were below average and within the class. Within the class, within yes. Within the class. Yeah, yeah. Then I would have said, nice that's a nice class. And that's the class. Ben Turk, you know, he worked out, he started. Nick, yes. Tau Nick Tausch did not work out. Jordan Cowart, for his position, started. And then, really, Golick was the one. People, Jake Golick, people didn't think yeah. he'd work out. And he didn't, and he... Didn't matter. They had Tyler Eifert. Yeah, if you scratch the specialists there, you have 15 guys, and like you're getting down to number 10 and thinking, like, that guy's pretty good. That's the best hit rate. Trust me. <laughs> 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 and then, uh, through this, and then there's some other hit rates that are really, 
really bad. Go back to Tyrell with some of Tyrell Williams' yeah, glasses. Oh, there was an awesome one it. in there. Was it 04? Oh, I don't, I don't want to miss well, like, yeah, Brady was 03, so it's no, 04. It's oh, 04. oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. All right, let's, not, let's yeah. not take time going over those names. All right, we'll be back uh, for segment two. Questions from our readers, starting with a question about uh, Notre Dame running back. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Segment two, um, we've got about eight questions off Twitter, all pertaining to Dexter Williams. Some message board speculation, I guess, is probably the best way to put it, um, about his availability for the season. We don't really have anything to report on that, but certainly we can put some perspective on how Notre Dame's disciplinary stuff has been handed out over the years based on various cases that we've covered. Yeah, if you, if you want to put it back in, he's been, we know he's had one offense for possession of marijuana. So if there's a second offense, he would be suspended for, like Kevin Severson last year, four games, and it would never be announced because there's privacy laws and they don't need to announce it and they would barely need to address it, although they wouldn't, I don't think with Dexter Williams and his status of the team, you could necessarily just say he'll play when his traits are up to par. I think that that ship has probably sailed from from last year. Now, we'll, and, we'll and we don't pro- even know if it, but it's related to if they if, if if it's grades, they would have to announce it, just like they did in the past with mm-hmm. LZ Mac. Uh, it's not an arrest because we would know about it. You're really limiting the things now. If it's a violation of team rules, same thing as possession. Because you never have to talk about it. You just say it's a violation of team rules. He's suspended for game one, game two, game three, game four. Mm-hmm. You know, Sierra Wood and Justin Utupu missed two games for undisclosed um, team role suspension in, in 2012. Sometimes, guys, it's not a big deal. They have to miss games for violation of team's rules. Uh, you, know, you know, if he's running with the threes in August camp, there would be a suspension coming because Dexter Williams would not be running with the threes to begin August training camp, and you just don't know the length of it. Four, four games if it's following the Sefferson lines, right? And he was yeah. running number two at running back at the end of the spring. But we don't know, is it because he doesn't know the offense? Or is it because it's another, uh, you know, a marijuana problem again? There are a couple things from which we could choose. And, and uh, you know, he he's a player that the coaching staff has not been able to rely upon in a couple different ways. That's fair to say. Yeah, and... You know, talking to people around the program, they were optimistic that things were clicking during spring practice for him. I guess we'll see if that continues through the summer and into the season. But um, we're in the danger time right now for every college yeah. athlete. That's this is when stuff starts to happen. Finals are this week. Mark your calendars for yeah. uh, Friday night, Saturday night of the weekend when we're blowing off some steam after the finals are over. Yeah. Maybe wake up early and check your Twitter feeds. Trade, yeah, trade secret of covering Notre Dame football or any other college football. The last yeah. day of finals and the day grades are Before due. Before you send that story to Jack, check yeah. the, the blotter. Can you believe that? That's <laughs> yeah. that, that happened in the past with a certain running back yeah. Mayor and I yeah. you know, referencing right now in so. August of 2016. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to report on these things, but it's also because you, you – it leads you to believe there could be something coming because there's never going. If there's no statement about it, it's not for public knowledge. Just like Kevin Stefferson's was right. not last year, he still mm-hmm. never officially was referenced as being suspended. Correct. It's okay. just we kind of figured it out now because if you read the student athlete handbook, you see that a second offense for drug, a second drug related offense, is missing thirty three percent of your team's competition. Well, that's four games in a twelve game season. So this potentially puts Notre Dame in a real. A real difficult position of running back. Now, you know, I mean, I, I, 
I think it's a hint as to why Tony Jones Jr. was number one in the spring. I do too. I, I, it's hard to look back now. Yeah, even then we said something's going on. He's the second string guy. Right. But then he broke. He had a great game in the in the spring game, and he thought, well, maybe we just saw the practices where he was number. That's that's the problem with seeing guy at number two. They might have seen Jones and Williams as equals, and they're alternating. Well, we saw we saw Tony Jones Jr. at number one in the last practice that was open to us. Remember, and prior in a smaller open practice in a thirty minute one. That's where we started okay. thinking when it was yeah. two in a row, and he started. It, I don't know. Starting the blue goal game matters because it's probably. How yeah. they wanted to run them out there, but I know you got to read the tea leaves. You do have to read the tea leaves. It's not something where you're going to. So yeah, I mean, and it, it whatever it puts Notre Dame in a potentially difficult situation. A running back, Jafar Armstrong, a very inexperienced running back who you know we like and shows some things, but is he ready to be a guy that you know you can count on right away at the beginning of next season? He has to take the pounding. That's the problem. He could look. Out. The lead running back for Notre Dame and his backup could look outstanding versus Michigan, and then three games later they might look miserable because they're no, those, no, ankle injuries and everything else. No doubt, yeah. but he's put together pretty well, and he's a guy that has an opportunity. Jameer Smith, a freshman who, you know, by all accounts had a had a pretty darn good spring. A guy that was in the mix as an early entry freshman, at least to run the plays with the first team, uh, and then Sebo Flemister comes in. Um, Who I like, but he's behind the eight ball because he didn't come in the spring. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, we don't, we can't we don't have anything to report specifically at this point, but and the there old, may the old, to report ever. there there that, could be, but but generally where there's smoke, there's fire, as the saying goes, and so we'll keep an eye on this. Golden by name, tougher matchup for Notre Dame's offense: Georgia last season or Michigan this season? Georgia last season, and I can say that with. Conviction, as before the season, I said the biggest matchup problem for Notre Dame all season will be Georgia's linebackers, and I stick by it having seen the game. <laughs> yeah, and I think they were even they were probably even better than we anticipated. Yes. You know, we went, I, I mean, I, I went back and looked at my preview, and... That was our staff stuff. We, we did our staff surveys. Yeah. That was my number one worst off matchup, and it was yeah. proved worse. You're right, Tim. Well, yeah, uh, Roquan Smith and Natrus Patrick and Lorenzo Carter, those guys are pretty good. They are pretty good up front. Um you know, the really question well, is right? about de- is defense, and so I mean, front seven. They also had John Atkins and and Trenton Thompson. Michigan's got just about everybody back. Maurice Hurst was drafted. Uh, Mike McCray, I believe, was signed as a free agent, but virtually everybody else is back on their defensive front. But I mean, even even if they're really really good, the Georgia defense was well, was. Pete, what did one of the coaches say? Creatures. Creatures. Yeah, the <laughs> creatures running around out there. It, yeah. it was a level of play that I can't ever rem- remember seeing in person. So they were playing with 12 guys. That's they why. were. Um, They're cheating. Yeah, I mean, oddly, they only had two guys picked off that defense. They had a couple guys, like Davin Bellamy went undrafted and Trenton Thompson went undrafted. Um, you play football at college, Davin Bellamy. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and Trent Thompson was a, I mean, he was a guy, he wasn't a playmaker. He's a guy that definitely could hold. He was a yeah. better version of Jay Hayes, I think. You know, a guy that can hold the point of attack, a lot better version that can hold the point of attack, but isn't necessarily going to, you know, make a lot of tackles in the back. Jay Hayes now at Georgia, I mean, ah. next year. Well, there so you go. I mean, that's a. They're not, they're not. Go fit, go, yeah. Riddle be that. Um, as far as Michigan goes, I was looking at the sort of top 50 players. On NFL.com um, for next year's draft class, Rayshon Gary, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but Devin Bush was way up there. He was a top 15 player, their linebacker, and Chase Vinovich, a linebacker as well. So they'll have some material, uh, but Rayshon Gary, like, I'll be curious. 
when I come away from watching Roquan Smith last year to Rayshon Gary this year, I know it's different positions, but who will be more just sort of awe-inspiring at the end of that night? Because um, if Rayshon Gary tops <laughs> Roquan Smith, well, okay. well but, but Rayshon Gary is is the best defensive lineman on those two lines. Yes. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Without a doubt. I tell yeah. you what, though, in reference to this question, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey aren't on the 2018 Notre Dame offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you want to change your <laughs> answer? Wanna, it's relative to one game. That's, it's, uh, that's both, a, are, both are bad matchups. Both, know, are t- both are very, very difficult matchups. My feeling on this game is I've already... It's a good question. It is a really good question is that it bet the under. Yeah. I don't care. Whatever the line comes out as, Vegas knows what it's doing. Bet under. Yeah. Maddie Hebs asks, which football coaches would you consider to be the top performing and hardest working recruiters on the Notre Dame staff? Uh, of the 10 guys, I think I sort of broke it down into like the the really, really good recruiters. Uh, I would go Chip Long, Brian Polian, Mike Elston. I think that sort of in the Clark Lee, Todd Light, Terry Joseph, Jeff Quinn, uh, Dell Alexander, like Good recruiters. You leave anybody out there? Well, uh, Tommy <laughs> Reese, I just don't know. Yeah, it's... Um, it's sort of like a, you know, there's no no grade has come back in there. And look at running back, Audrey Jensen has really struggled. There's no way around that. That when you look at the talent that's come in at that position, plus the guys that they have got, how they have not panned out. I think that's it's just that's a, a bad. It's, that's it's a tough situation. And not panning on off the field is killing. You can't have that in Notre Dame. You can't have half of your players you've ever coached. Get or anywhere. At, at anywhere, at any you cannot have that. You cannot have half of your players get in some type of trouble yeah. or transfer or get dismissed. It's not good. Well, you really can't have it happen at Notre Dame because they're not going to have the overall talent that Florida State has and that Georgia has and that you know who I'm talking about. I would pull in Elston Long in, in some order as the top. Three. Yeah. And it's like I'm going to write something on Jeff Quinn uh, probably tomorrow uh, after I catch up with a couple more of the 2019 offensive linemen, just about his recruiting style. Cause I, I think that if you, if is he sort of a, a classic great recruiter, I don't think so, but in terms of being a really good recruiter for offensive linemen that are interested in Notre Dame, I think he fits that mold really, really well. And uh, I put this, I talked to Jarrett Patterson over the weekend because he he was sort of the one guy who made a decision on Notre Dame after the transition had happened from uh, yes. he stand to Quinn. I said, so Harry, he stands still here. Are you at Notre Dame? And he's like, I don't really know. Cause I never had any contact with him. Like, and he said like the vibe that I got was he was just not that personable compared to Jeff Quinn. And I, <laughs> and I, and I really like that about Jeff Quinn. Whereas Jeff Quinn came into my house, he knew about my brother he knew about how my dad played. Um, he sort of had more of an overall understanding of who I was as a person. And that, that was really important to me. Is that important to everyone? No. But I think for somebody like Jared Patterson, the fact you could just say he's at Notre Dame if Jeff Quinn's not the offensive line coach, I don't know if you could say that. Now, on the flip side, you could say Nicholas petit Frere probably is at Notre Dame if Terry stands the offensive line coach. But <coughs> I do think that... Quinn hit some, checked some boxes in recruiting that he stand did not, and those are really applicable for offensive linemen. Right when he was hired, I called Dave Burke, who used to cover him for scout. Jeff Quinn, he covered <clears throat> Cincinnati. And, 
you know, he even told me, you know, I take some of this, I'm not going to say anything bad about Coach Quinn because they became friends during his time in Cincinnati and, and after he left for Buffalo. So that, he said, the, I have to tell you this, though, <coughs> the concerns about, any concerns about Jeff Quinn recruiting, because it's a different level, Cincinnati and Buffalo is the natural concern. When just If you don't know anything about the coaches, that's the concern. He said, Jeff Quinn is great, great with families and in a family's living room. I absolutely promise you that is one place he will not fail. I'm sure he overwhelms with enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You know, which which we see on the practice field, um, and so that's that's a great thing. I mean, that's a, on the recruiting trail. That's an upgrade for Notre Dame. Now on the football field, yeah, I mean, like, look at this is nothing to do with what's going to happen against Michigan, right? No, <laughs> but I mean, on the football field, I don't think Jeff Quinn's going to approach Harry Heastand as a no, <laughs> no, no. And yeah, we, we want to focus on we're, this is a recruiting question, and I, I right. do think there were, there were questions because he hadn't had to recruit at this level, so this is why it's. Being asked, it's a good early return, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at some of the coaches that were with Kelly through Central Michigan and Cincinnati and Grand Valley, when they got to Notre Dame, it took them a while to figure out, okay, who do I recruit? How do I go about it? Or this, this is the right fit? I think Jeff Quinn um, sort of got that right away. Part of that is probably because he's he been here. He's been around, yeah. Um, but you know, I think he's, he's sort of adapted and understands the kind of guys they need to go after. Next one, Irish Leaf. Is it possible that Derek Allen performs well enough this summer that Aaron snaps early in the season? Yeah, yeah I mean, he didn't say start. So. No, what? That's what I was going to say. What? What gets you snaps? Gets you to the second team? Well, basically, he would probably have to beat out um, Devin Studstill to be number two on the depth chart, which I think we all think is is yeah, no, very possible. And hold off Houston Griffith. Um, yeah, uh, Houston Griffith would be the more likely. Yeah. Because he's been in the program here from this spring, but uh, well, they could both be in two D. Honestly, if if Nick Coleman has a niche role of some type, right? I wouldn't expect that early. I <coughs> Michigan, if somebody gets hurt at safety, Nick Coleman's going to run out there. Right? I think if you put the coaches like in a truth chamber, yeah. Allen and Griffith would be starting. That's what they would prefer to, even, to happen. Even early, even that early. Is it going to happen? No, no it's okay. not going to happen. But I think if they look at Derek Allen and Houston Griffith and think. These are the guys we want to build the back end of the defense around. And um, I, I think that they're going to give those guys the benefit of the doubt many times over to get them on the field in a, in a way that I think previous staffs did not. They like sort of went like, oh, let's just play the experienced guys. I think with Griffith and Allen, they have a couple guys that can do every single thing they want safeties to do. I think it'll take some doing to get a Lowy Gilman off the field. In 2018. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how that plays out because the more I sort of ask around about Gilman, I think that some of the things we saw in spring ball were just like, all right, what am I missing something here for how much he's raved about at the coaches? I, I think other people felt the same way um, where he just he hits really hard and he knows where to be. And that will get you a really long way. I mean, I think Notre Dame yes. would have killed to have a safety who did those two things yeah. last year. But I think with Griffith and Allen – they probably are going to know where to be. They're definitely going to hit really hard. They're going to get there really fast, and they have ball skills. Um, and I think in a way I think we saw, just haven't we, had. we saw in the Blue Gold game <clears throat> what Alohi Gilman does well. I mean, he anticipates, he makes a move, and he's there. Now, in live action, in game competition, when you're, pl- when you're not playing against your teammates and you're facing one of the upper echelon in college football, maybe he doesn't quite get to that spot. Someone has to drive the ship back there. And it will not be a true freshman against Michigan. Now, no, there's no. Will way. it be a true freshman against Florida State when things have all been developed and you see strengths and weaknesses? It's possible, but I really think it'll be Gilman 
plus someone that could be Elliott easily. And I really believe at the beginning of the year that Nick Coleman holds down that spot. I don't think, I do think at the end of the year, your second string safeties that are playing are Griffith and Allen. I just think September's treated a little differently. And, and that's, I'm really glad they moved Jim Markeith because he's got a chance to be yeah, a good college right. He's got a chance to be a good college football player. You know, hopefully their their inside linebackers stay healthy and then he can just prepare for, for being a starter in 2019. But, you know, that's why we always say, I need to see it. I need to see it with my eyes in order to believe to believe it because Gilman just didn't always show that in a regular practice. I can see Gilman starting every game this year, but then having some trouble hanging on to that job in 2019 yeah. with those two. It's just it, Michigan. The Michigan game you're going to have a low, if he's healthy, a low Gilman out there running the show. They mm-hmm. need somebody back there that knows what's going on because you don't want to blow the Michigan game. Such a, such a high bar recording here. <laughs> you don't want to blow a game like that, a game that's nip and tuck on one dumb bust because you yeah. have such great athletes behind you. That You know what I'm saying? It's no, I do. I do. And I, keep, do. and I keep thinking of the, the Michigan game like the Georgia game last year. It's just like if you can just win that game, you're going to get off to a great start. Even more so this year. The, last year, there was still Michigan right, State. And right. BC seemed like a trap. BC was a trap until right. the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, they had 50 points, 49 points. Uh, NY Rudy, how does the eligibility of Shea Patterson for the home opener change your feeling about the game? The Michigan game is what uh, NY Rudy is talking about. Yeah, so I mean, if some of our listeners didn't hear the news, Michigan transfer quarterback out of Ole Miss, Shea Patterson, was officially eligible now since our last podcast. Um, I don't even know who Michigan's quarterback would have been. Um, uh, Br- uh, Brandon Peters is still there, is he not? Oh, yeah, yeah I forgot about him. Um, yeah, because Wilson Spate did a grad transfer to UCLA. And O'Korn had his... like eight years of college football. If it, right. wasn't, like... if it was O'Korn, you could have won 4-2. to two. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, I, well, I would have felt a lot better about Nerdin's chances if it was Brandon Peters. That's that's for sure. So I, I guess that's, that's the answer to the question. It changes. How, how does it change it? it? Changes it probably yeah. a lot. Well, let's just look at <laughs> let's just look at last year's numbers. And Patterson completed sixty four percent of his passes, and Peters completed fifty two percent of his passes. So yeah, I mean he's a good college quarterback. He's uh, Patterson, that is. He's he's mistake prone. I mean he's a guy that you can you can have success against. But the mere fact that we know he's going to play is is not a great thing for Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean compared mistake prone is different than being prone to being bad. Yes, <laughs> so I, I think it hurts yes. a little. I think storylines I'm done with analyzing how experienced or inexperienced the other quarterback is or is not coming into Notre Dame Stadium and having that having anything to do with how the game ends up. Considering what we saw from Jake Fromm last year, going back to the, Duke the Cam Dantley, uh, yeah, who was even Duke Duke's quarterback? I don't even know who Duke's quarterback was. Daniel back Jones, then. he's tall. Yeah. Oh yeah, come on, yeah, he's right been, over James Onawalu. over the defense. Um, Notre Dame, like. Notre Dame has got beaten by really bad quarterbacks at Notre Dame. They've beaten really good quarterbacks at Notre Dame. Um, I just think that we it's it will that storyline will be hyper analyzed all through August, going up to like okay, how does Shea Patterson look in warmups? Um, on the He's night, better than Brandon Peters at football. On the night so starter first, but whether that. That doesn't prohibit Notre Dame from winning not, the game. Not at all. It's so. just he is better than Brandon Peters. Yes. That's, so, so it's worse than if he wasn't playing. Exactly. And speaking of completion percentages, a question from Irish Gold. By the time he graduates, will Brandon Wimbush have better passing stats than either Tommy Reese or Ever Golson? 
how, I mean, how did you, O'Malley, you look at this question? I just sort of looked at it as Wimbush as a two-year starter. Let's just yeah. for, forget. Like, Golson was a two-year starter, yeah. so it yeah, was. that's why I said. Yeah. Reese, two-year starter. Golson, two-year starter. Wimbush, two-year starter. But then I threw Kaiser in there as well, since he was a two-year starter, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of touchdowns responsible for, Wimbush is going to crush Reese. Uh, Reese finished with 36 touchdowns. In those two years, you're saying he had like uh, well, 61, 61, 61 touchdowns. But you're saying when he was the, you've got to throw, you're throwing yeah. out his freshman year, his yeah. backup year where he threw touchdown yeah. passes. Okay, yeah. So I think Wimbush will. Because will, you can't count all those touchdowns. Well, the question the is by the time right. he graduates. So it's like completion percentage, he's not going to have a chance at that. They were both under, just they were at a touch under 60%. Yeah, and Kaiser was at 60.7. So And you could argue for Reese he was under 60 because of, uh, all the other games mm-hmm. that he had. I mean, it's a freshman. You're going out there and not that, right, right. This is that's, those are career stats. I don't, you know, I get the question. I don't really care how the passing stats match up. The point that you made, Pete, about the you know just the overall productivity. That's the most important thing. The the 76 percent touchdown rate in the red zone. The the uh, 14 rushing touchdowns, which is a remarkably huge number. So Wimbush, it's. 45, or it's 31, 31 touchdowns and nine turnovers right now, right? This is a good way of looking at it. 30 touchdowns and nine turnovers. Mm-hmm. Golson, because of a very bad finish, was 41 and 20. Probably, yeah, that was passing, was 41. He probably ran for yeah, 13, so he was probably 54. Uh, he had 12 fumbles lost in his career. Eight as a senior. Conversely, Reese... Fumbled five times as a sophomore and never again. Everett Golson fumbled eight times as a senior, and Tommy Reese didn't fumble as a junior or senior. So you can blame Everett Golson yeah. for fumbling problems well, at this point. Well, look, Wimbush is... Wimbush can't fumble because he no, makes plays with his legs. Wimbush is in, you know, inter- his interceptions are going to go up. You know, it's yeah, something we brought up during the spring, and I, and yeah. I still abide by that, that... Um, you know he's more. He's going to be more confident now, right? Squeezing that pass in there, and so more are going to be intercepted. Will he only have? He he'll have. He should have way more than sixteen touchdown passes this year. Yes, he kind of has to. But the he main thing, look, the main thing, the main thing is the the combination of running, passing, and the ability to score in the red zone. That is tremendously important. And I don't. Well, you don't have Nelson McGlinchey. We're going to say that a lot, but. Will he have better? Will he have a better two-year run than Deshaun Kaiser? That's all that matters, right? He's got well, a better two-year think, run than. Yeah, Bruce I mean, Wilson. I don't think his worst year will be as. I you know I think it'll, I mean, he basically matched Kaiser already, didn't he? They both had 30, 31 touchdowns and about. I'm sure Kaiser had ten turnovers as a as a redshirt freshman. Kaiser Kaiser figures, finished yeah. with sixty-five total touchdowns, passing and rushing, in his two years. You know, can Wimbush go over that? Yeah. And in fact, if Notre Dame's got, going to yeah. hit its He's goal, hit it just about right. If Notre Dame's going to win ten games, he has to go over yeah. that. Um, it just, Notre Dame can't afford Wimbush right, to yeah. not take a big step forward this year because of the McGlinchey Nelson factor. It's, so, so the right. question is, I think he will have a better career passing than uh, just lower passing percentage, and I think he'll throw for he'll throw for much way few. But Tommy Reese threw thirty-seven picks. You know, it's just, it adds up. Nothing wrong with I Tommy Reese's. I, I, yeah, I, I it's not his fault. I don't, I don't think he's going to throw that many interceptions. He's not, he's not going to go a whole season and only throw six. You can't use Brandon Wimbush's stats without including running because it's pointless. Right. Right. He wouldn't start at Notre Dame if he couldn't run. 
or anywhere else in the world. Right. So running is the key, and you got to include rushing stats. And of course, you can't become a fumbler. And I, I say that because most guys get better and don't fumble as they get older, but it's not necessarily true if you get sloppy like Wilson. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question's a combo from SR5452. He wants to know who is one guy in both offense and defense that you guys could see turning heads this fall that hasn't played much for ND, and that is similar to the DOC question from Twitter. It's like, do you see any redshirt freshmen winning starting jobs this fall? I think I see one at some point during the season. And you think that's Jafar Armstrong? Jafar Armstrong. I thought you were going to say it was Sukarma. I have no inside knowledge as to why it should be Jafar Armstrong. I'm not saying anything has happened at the position, but I believe <laughs> Jafar. No, I think Jafar Armstrong is a playmaker and guys get hurt. And if Tony Jones starts the year, yeah. I think week three, he hurts his ankle a little bit. Jafar Armstrong gets his chance. It's the CJ Procise phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Get him out there and let him run and, and see what happens. So he would be the one that I would pick. I would agree with that. I'd also say Cole Komet. I, uh, you yeah, know, just cause I, because we just... And they love him too. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, him. they do. They yeah, they love him, and we just don't know exactly what Elze Mack will do. Um, you know, I'm not sold that Liam Eikenberg is going to hold off Josh Luck, or that Josh Luck isn't going to end up getting more starts ahead of Eikenberg. I think all all things being equal, Eikenberg will get the first shot. And I throw in Michael Young. I know he scored a touchdown in the bowl game, but he's a guy that you know went, like went through most of the season without playing a whole bunch. That's offense. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Owusu Kormoa for sure. Right. It was kind of hard to pick out guys on defense unless you're going to th- somehow get creative and have Houston Griffith be a guy um, who obviously hasn't played or, at all. Um, being o- an early o- o- Gilman doesn't count. Ogun Deji, maybe. Yeah, that's... Might be a good one. Not a starter, but... No, you don't want Ogun Deji to be a starter. You want him to be a nice backup for Khalid Kareem. Yeah, well, most of the guys on defense have, you know, you wouldn't say uh, haven't played much at ND. I mean, Kareem... What he averaged, 20 snaps a game last year, 21 snaps a game. Mm-hmm. We both wrote down Pete, or was it you, Tim? I, Dalen Hayes. I know that he played a lot, but that's a guy that. I think he could I turn heads this year. Right. We all expect to him to take significant step up. And what would a podcast be without me mentioning Troy Pride, who <laughs> I mentioned in every podcast in the last six or seven? He's, I mean, he's a guy that whose game. I mean, that's a different question. That's guys who have played a bunch who that now need to be players. That's the Dalen Hayes um, part too. Those, I mean, that's sort of well, like. I don't know if they've played a bunch. I wouldn't. I mean, he went through a pretty long period last year where he didn't. I think I look at Pride as needing to do like Julian Love played a bunch as a freshman, and was good for that. But what happened to him as a sophomore, which is good whatever class he was yes, in, that's they need guys like Troy Pride and Dalen Hayes, Mac, to like go from, oh, they played, like they contributed, to like, this guy is just really friggin' good. And I think Troy Pride has that in his game. I think he does too. But it, it needs to come out in the way that it needs to come out with Dalen Hayes and Alizé Mack and, all, and the rest of those guys. That's, that's I think, the key to the season. Um, if Notre Dame's going to overachieve, they're going to need some breakout-type performances. I think every time you look back at Notre Dame's best years under Kelly, it's because people broke out. Last year, Tavon Coney. We never would have thought about it. Yeah. I mean, that's you You have to have guys like that come out of not. He kind of came out of nowhere. You don't have to come out of nowhere because Dalen Hayes wouldn't be out of nowhere, but he's got to do something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to be as good as Tavon Coney, but these guys, ha- you have to have players that have years that they have never had before and Julia love last year that's right. why they were a ten, these are why they're a 10 win team last year i mean you can't always say okay they're going to get sacks 
because of team defense. You've got to have some, right? You've got to have well, some it never works. Right. It never happens, so he's got to quit saying it. You've got, you've got to have individuals stand out, and right now, who are those individuals at defensive end? I mean, I think Aquara will be a seven-sack guy this year, but they need another seven-sack guy with him. They can't have one seven-sack guy and a couple four-sack guys. It's got to be seven, seven, eight. You need guys to make... You know, right. Khalid Kareem, Julian Aquara, and Dalen Hayes could be seven-sack guys. They all have to be seven-sack mm-hmm. guys. So that's the way... That's different than one of them will be or one of them could be. They, they all got to get there. And Tillery will have some this year. It's, I, I totally believe Elston when he says, look, he's a good pass rusher. He just hit he up on the center last year. That's not... You yeah. can't rush the pass Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that, that position move is, is tailor-made for him, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider. We will probably be back next week. Date uncertain, um, but we'll be back probably a couple more times in the month of May uh, as the off season gets into full gear. Some more recruiting stuff coming up. Um, there is inevitably some team news as well. So when the next it warrants the next podcast, we will return. Irish Illustrated Insider Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester. Thanks for listening.